as a word from the from the book of Job, Job chapter four, the whole chapter. God's inspired and holy word. Give your attention to the reading of it, Job four. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, "If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet he, yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many." And you have strengthened the weak hands, and your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now, a word was brought to me stealthily by a received the whisper of it, amid thoughts, among amid thoughts from visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men, dread called to me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, the hair of my flesh stood up, it stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A f- form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust. In his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Between morning and evening, They are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die? And that without wisdom. As far as the reading of God's word may bless it to us. So they say, almost doesn't count. Except for horseshoes and hand grenades, almost is no good. Now this is a fun little saying, but... It's not too hard to think of other places where almost does work. Good enough for government work is almost quality. Most of our cooking is almost perfect, but it still tastes uh, plenty tasty. And almost paper will still often get a passing grade. But then there are those fields where almost is no good at all. An almost hit is still a strikeout. An almost balm blows your hand off. So then, what about counseling? Is counseling and comforting an almost field or a precision one? Well, it is often treated as almost. Throw a bunch of words and therapies at the grieving until one sticks. It is after difficult and people are different, so don't fret about precision. Just keep trying a one-size-fits-all ideas until one will work eventually. And consoling the sad is hard, and we are sympathetic with this. 
And yet we should be mindful that our almost counseling can be tossing hand grenades at those who are suffering. Thus, as we hear the counselors of Job, we learn how to be more careful. So Job shattered the silence with his soul-stabbing pain by cursing his day and aching for death. And now, though, with the sufferer, Job, having spoken, the door is open for others to speak. The friends of Job wisely waited for him to talk, and having been patient, it's now their turn. And the first friend to come off the bench is Eliphaz the Temanite. Now, from what we know about Eliphaz, our expectations of him are all positive. Eliphaz is a true friend who did not disown or shun Job as the rest of the community did. He fully empathized with him, and he entered his pain by putting dust on his head. And Eliphaz honored Job by sitting quietly with him for seven days. Moreover, the explicit purpose of his visit was to comfort and console his suffering friend Job. He is here to help and not to harm. We also know that Eliphaz is a gray-haired elder with a reputation of wisdom. He has the burden of much life experience and an astute education. We expect good things from Eliphaz. And right out of the gate, he does not disappoint, as his words aptly apply pain-relieving balm. If one ventures a word with you, will you be unable? Note he is sensitive to Job's fragile state. He's concerned that Job is too weary, too worn out, and that he will not be able to handle even a word of comfort. Sometimes, as you know, we are too weak even to receive the medicine we need. Sometimes we have to regain some strength before the therapy can be administered. Eliphaz then opens with gentleness and perception. But there's a second inability. Job may be unable to take the word, but who can hold back his words? Who can refrain from addressing Job? Eliphaz confesses his inability to hold his peace any longer. Job's day curse and death wish, excuse me, Job's day curse and death wish demands a response. His trauma has to be treated. Eliphaz has something to say and his burning need to talk shows confidence. Eliphaz is sure that he has just the right antibiotic words for Job. And he starts with a compliment. Job, you've encouraged so many. You have a long career of strengthening the disheartened. Job's words have raised those who stumbled and emboldened the weak of knees. Job has been the doctor of so many for so long. He was the counselor and therapist who always got positive results. Eliphaz praises Job as the good doctor of the soul. However, today, the doctors become the patient, verse 5. Job is now the one wearied and terrified, unable and scared, impatient and dismayed. And how true this is. 
no matter how capable or strong you are, there comes a time when you need to be strengthened. Every doctor ends up a patient, and the therapist will need therapy. And this day has come upon the mighty Job. Yet note in verse 5 how Eliphaz says, It came on Job. It touched him. Now, it's obvious what it is, the tragedy and loss of everything. But Eliphaz cannot bring himself to name it. He's too scared to say the name. He's afraid that Job cannot bear it. This is the shielding use of it. Think about it. We say he passed instead of died. We say her instead of Barbara. Or the loss instead of Joey is dead. We put a fence around our fragile psyches by using pronouns. The blanket of this or that, it or them. Eliphaz is being careful with Job and with himself. Though his first encouragement comes in verse 6, your fear is your confidence, your integrity is your hope, your fear of God. Eliphaz highlights Job's upright godliness as his confidence and hope for the future. And he pairs it with a reminder. Remember, my dear friend, when has the innocent perished or the upright been cut off. This has never happened, so cheer up, Job. Eliphaz basically tells Job that everything will be okay. It'll all turn out in the end. Job is godly, the upright never die, and so he can be confident that his hardship will transform into good times again. And key to his point here is perish, cut off, or die. Sure, the innocent go through hard times, the upright can suffer and endure loss, but these righteous folk never die. God always keeps the pious from an untimely death. Yet by this point, Eliphaz's driving veers off or outside the yellow line. We hear the rumble strip. For one, it's common for us to tell the grieving It will all turn out for good. You pat them on the back, everything will be okay. We've all said this. But the problem is, how do we know this? How can we know this? Well, the truth is, we can't and we don't. Second, Eliphaz is using the retribution principle positively as the pain reliever for Job. You are good and so it will go good for you. This is the first sign of a misstep. For Satan weaponized the retribution principle against Job. He disguised all his sufferings as the curse of God. And now Eliphaz takes the poison of Satan and tries to employ it as medicine. We are skeptical, and rightly so. For thus or for Eliphaz, now increases the dosage. Next, he says, I've seen it a thousand times. This is a rock-solid truth from my experience. Those who plow iniquity sow trouble, and sow trouble reap the same. You reap what you sow. And those who sow sin and trouble always get a harvest 
of anguish and pain. Eliphaz now balances the positive side of the retribution principle with the negative. Good for good and evil for evil. And yet, just by mentioning the negative, he implies this might be the case for Job. He even repeats one of Job's words. In chapter 3, verse 10, Job lamented that he saw trouble, and here, the sowers of trouble reap the same. Now, Eliphaz could deny it, but the implication is clear. Maybe Job's trouble is a harvest he sowed. Job is grieving his dead kids, and Eliphaz hints, Job, it could have been your fault. Our eyes get big. And Eliphaz takes it further, verse 9. He says, those sowers of evil, they perish by the breath of God. By the wind of his anger, they're finished off. God surely punishes the wicked with an untimely death. Yet Eliphaz's imagery here is shocking. Literally, he says, by the wind of God's nostrils, the wicked perish. But in chapter 1, it was a great wind that struck the home and killed all his kids. This is like saying, this is like if your son died by a gunshot and someone said to you, it's okay, God shoots sinners. Yes, Eliphaz implies that Job's ten kids died for their sin. They were partying after all, and so Job's sacrificial intercession did not work. And Eliphaz doesn't allow Job not to have some skin in the game. Verse 10 and 11. Now he employs an illustration about lions. In fact, he uses five different names for lions in these four four poetic lines. He must have just watched a lion documentary. But he says the lion roars, big cats howl, the king of the pe- uh, king of beasts teeth break, the lioness dies of starvation, and the pride cubs are scattered. God slays the ultimate hunter by that hunter not bagging any game. His point is that God can punish the biggest and the best, even the lion. But who's the lion? Well, the word for roaring in verse 10 is the same one Job just used for his pain in 324. Job's the lion, the best man in the east. Eliphaz is warning Job, just because Job is like a lion, does not mean that he cannot be judged by God. Job needs to rein in his roaring because it might get him into trouble. Now, most likely, Eliphaz is thinking more of the present than the past. Job has been a good boy, but his roaring agony could get him into trouble. Eliphaz has mistaken Job's honesty and openness in his pain as an impious challenge against God. He's put a toe over the line, and he better be careful or God will chop it off. And with this the first red flag is thrown against Eliphaz. His almost quality is showing. How? Well, he took the general truth and he universalized it 
and applied it. Now, on, on average, the retribution principle works. The innocent don't perish and the wicked reap what they sow. This is not wrong generally so, but Eliphaz applies it to Job's unique case without allowing for any exceptions or anomalies. Eliphaz's error is that he simplifies the doctrine of retribution. He makes it too clean with no messiness or gray areas. He removes nuance and complexity, and he applies the general truth with a heavy hand upon the unique and concrete situation of Job. The good friend Eliphaz has gone the way of simplification, and the simplicity of Eliphaz's theology just sprinkled salt in Job's festering boils. When things get dirty, when life slogs through the thick mud of complexity, nuance, and incomprehensibility, we tend to reach for simplicity. In the face of no answer, we'll just pull an easy answer out of the hat. But as we see from Eliphaz, the tendency of simplification is a vectoring towards folly. Eliphaz might mean well, but his therapy is not so well. As a doctor administering his medicine, he forgot the first principle, do no harm. Yet, as a seasoned wise man, Eliphaz is self-confident. Thus, he has a word for Job, another word, He says, venturing a word with the fragile Job is a delicate business, but Eliphaz has just the word for this dust-covered man. And this word is actually a prophetic vision. Yeah, in verses 12 through 16, Eliphaz gives us a fascinating description of a divine dream he had about Job. He says, a word came to me stealthily during visions of the night, When deep sleep falls on men, dread called to me, dread terrified all my bones. A spirit glided by and past my face, my hair stood on end, and the spirit stopped. It stood before my face, but I could not recognize its appearance. I could not make out its form. There was silence, and then I heard a voice. What a marvelous description of a a prophetic dream to receive a divine word from a dread spirit. It makes your skin crawl. A spirit passed by him and stopped. Silence and then a voice. These stranger things have us begging for more. But then, you give it a second thought. Wait a minute here. Did Eliphaz have a dream about Job? The divine gave him a special revelation? Is Eliphaz a modern Pentecostal? Dreams and visions? Really? And we should be skeptical, but Eliphaz is a wise old friend, and so we should give him the benefit of the doubt to hear him out. Thus, Eliphaz hands us a transcript of what the Spirit spoke to him. Verses 17 through 21 is the divine voice speaking Uh, to Eliphaz for Job. And the spirit breaks the ice with an obvious truth. Can a mortal be righteous before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Well, of course not. All humans are sinners, fallen in Adam. 
before the inapproachable holiness of the Lord, no human is upright, no person is pure. We're all exposed as defiled and unrighteous. And the voice amplifies God's transcendent holiness even more. God puts no trust in his servants. He charges his angels with error. That is, the Lord is so high and lofty, even his angelic servants in heaven are untrustworthy and found wanting. Wasn't this just proved by Satan? Satan may have divine or access to the divine assembly, but his evil is palpable. The angels of light are darkness before the blinding glory of the Holy One. What a magnifying of God's transcendence and supreme perfection. And if this is the case with angels, how much more with humans? Men live in houses of clay with foundations of dust. That is, they have clay bodies with sandy feet. Humans are so fragile and transient, says the spirit, they're crushed before the moth. Moths last longer than a dusty human. The inclement weather of this life eradicates humans before moths and butterflies. From morning to evening, they're crushed, they perish forever with no one even paying attention to it. Like a dead fly in a window, nobody pays attention to the perishing of a human. Like a splashed mosquito on a windshield, they're washed off without notice. This is how lowly and wretched are humans. Their tent cord is yanked, they die, and without wisdom. Man dies with no wisdom, having never gained or any real understanding or knowledge. And without wisdom, man is no different than a brute beast, a stupid insect, or an annoying varmint. This is how the divine spirit paints fallen humanity before the surpassing glory of God's holiness. And on one level, this is accurate. We are worms before the infinite righteousness and justice of our holy creator. And yet, this word from the spirit is kind of like a Tupperware of leftovers in the fridge for four days. Something doesn't quite smell right. And upon a second whiff, we catch contradictions. First, here the Spirit says all humans perish like a bug in their wilderness. But in verse 7, Eliphaz asserted that the innocent do not perish. He even encouraged Job to have confidence in his integrity that everything will be okay. But if no one's innocent or upright, then there is no hope for them to survive. There's an internal inconsistency in Eliphaz's advice. He tells Job to look to his innocency and then quotes a spirit that he has no innocency. Indeed, Eliphaz's dream undermines Job's integrity completely. If this spirit is correct, then Job is suffering because he's a sinner, a body of clay with dust of feet. And this gets us to the second and main problem here. In verse 17, the Spirit says no man can be right before God. However, this contradicts what Yahweh did twice to Job in chapters 1 and 2. 
the Lord approbated Job before him as being upright, blameless, God-fearing, and free from evil. The Lord declared Job righteous and pure, and then this spirit says this is impossible. Additionally, in the challenge with Satan, God put his trust in Job. As his champion in the ordeal, God found Job trustworthy. The Lord was confident that Job would prevail. But the Spirit says God doesn't even trust his angels. This Spirit is disagreeing with the Lord, which means that this night vision is not from God. This mysterious and dread Spirit that Eliphaz could not recognize was from Satan. Eliphaz had a dream all right, but it was from the evil one. What Eliphaz is confident in is actually of the devil. If Satan can hide as an angel of light, then he can surely impersonate a divine spirit in the night speaking for God. If someone has a dream for you, if a spirit talks to you, beware, for it could easily be the evil one. Nevertheless, what is wrong with verse 17? There's certainly truth here. Man is not righteous before God. The problem is, is it treats God and man according to their naked identity, their bare essence. This presents God only in terms of his transcendent essence and man only in his fallen nature. It sets forth God and man according to abstract identity, what the theologians call ontology. There is pure God and impure fallen humans. Now, there's a truth to this, but this is not how God deals with us. The Lord doesn't deal with us according to naked being or identity, but in terms of covenant. The Lord accommodates and relates to us according to his covenant. Remember, Job was his servant, his covenant partner. Now, in the covenant, there is law, but also grace. There is creative accommodation and saving grace. In creation, the Lord formed men and women in his image as way more precious than a moth. The Lord instituted capital punishment for murder because he regards and records every human death as significant. And by saving grace, the Lord gives an upright standing before him. By his mercy, he makes us pure in his eyes. Therefore, Satan, Satan's twisted truth here takes us back to the original challenge. Satan charged that the Lord's grace as having failed, that the Lord was unable to save a people who loved God just for himself, that they only cared for God because he paid them with blessings. And now through the teeth of friendly Eliphaz, this, this evil spirit calls God a liar. Job is not right or pure before the Lord. He's just a wicked human who will perish without wisdom like a moth. And if Job is not upright, then God and his saving grace have failed, and the wind goes to Satan. 
And Eliphaz quotes this evil spirit as being his own advice to comfort Job in his agony. In his zeal to administer medicine, the good intentions of Eliphaz just injected poison into Job. His almost counsel was a hand grenade. And by this, we see the second error of Eliphaz. His first was simplification, particularly the retribution principle. And here, his second is pious abstraction. God is holy, and no human is right before him. This sounds so pious, even sexy. The Lord and humans relate by identity, bare essence, ontology. How can this be wrong? It can because this pious abstraction excludes covenant. And to write off the covenant is to banish Christ and the gospel. Simplification denies exceptions and complexity, but Christ is the true and proper exception. He is the innocent one who did perish an untimely death. He was the upright one who was obliterated on the cross. And by abstraction, as a human, Jesus has to be fallen, sinful, and contemned to die without wisdom. This is what the cross said to all those who were present. Jesus was just a criminal that had to perish before the mob. And yet being fully human, Jesus was righteous. He was godly to the uttermost, pure holiness. Jesus was the servant of God who was trustworthy and right before God. The father had full trust and confidence in his son. And because Jesus was the exception to simplicity, because he was complex, he made us righteous in him. By God's grace, in the righteousness of Christ, we become the righteousness of God. In Christ, you actually stand pure before your maker. You do not die like a moth, but the death of his saints is precious in God's eyes. Also, as he died on the cross, bearing our sins, becoming sin for us, Christ is not a pious abstraction. The cross is folly and weak to the world. It doesn't fit an abstract idea that good things happen to good people or that the evil reap what they sow. Instead, Christ's death and resurrection is the concrete, unique fact of history That is the power of our salvation. It's the stubborn truth that overcomes death and curse for us. And this is how the uh, exceptional complexity of Christ and his impious cross is your consolation amid pain, suffering, and sadness. The good intentions but nevertheless clear errors of Eliphaz pushed Christ away. He all, his almost counsel pulled Jesus further away from the agonizing Job. And yet Eliphaz's malpractice, by it we are equipped to be better counselors. By his simplification and abstraction, Eliphaz tried to explain Job's traumatic plight. 
Yet what Job needed was not an explanation, but instead he needed to hear the love of God. Job, why are you suffering? I have no idea, but the Lord loves you. He gave a son to die for you. His grace made you God's covenantal friend. Indeed, Job's faith needed to be pointed to the gospel assurance that nothing can separate him or us from the love of God in Christ. Sure, Job cannot feel this at the moment. His faith could not recognize it before his eyes. Yet it was just as true in his sad agony as it was in his past happiness. This is the particular comfort of Christ flowing from his word and his love for you. Thus, may we be careful with the almost counsel of simplification and abstraction. And may we always remember this precise comfort of Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He was raised for your resurrection so that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from God's love in Christ, not even the abject tragedy of Job. Thus, praise the Lord for the wisdom of God in Christ, who is the God of all comfort, so that as he comforts us, we are made better comforters and counselors of others. Amen. Let's pray.